everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we are coming to you with another episode about I bet you can't guess what topic, right, Landon? They, they can probably not guess at all what they topic. You can't get enough of it, it seems like. But this one's important because I think it's got a lot of good information that people uh, need to need to hear and need to understand. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I've seen this covered on other awesome, wonderful podcasts, but we're going to try to take it kind of down to the micro level and really dig into this one part that to me is the most important part, I think, maybe the key to the entire thing. So we're, we're hoping to unlock a few things for everybody, because what we're going to be talking about today is the whiteboard. You heard it, the whiteboard. I know it doesn't sound very much like a smoking gun, but I really feel that it is. So I think we have some slides prepared um, to take you through some of this information today. We do, and I'll pull those up right now. Landon is a tech master. There we go. So we're kind of calling this slideshow everything you've ever wanted to know about Tim Ballard's whiteboard, but we're afraid to ask because <laughs> everybody's talking about it. Have you heard about the whiteboard? What's on the whiteboard? But it is a little confusing and a little convoluted. So we decided we'd kind of take it piece by piece and we found a really good article. I think we show that on our next slide. Yeah, American Crime Journal, they do a really good job. And they have a whole article on the whiteboard meeting that we're just going to take you through and then kind of do a little trajectories to the side when we feel that there's something that that needs to be clarified. Um, and of course, everybody is basing all of their articles and information on the incredible research of Lynn Packer, which, you know, it's been there, it's been around for a long time, just kind of out there, but finally, people are starting to take notice. And it's just comprehensive and, and amazing, wouldn't you say, Landon? Yeah, and we should probably say that everything that we're referencing in this uh, episode uh, comes from either news media or other publicly uh, available information. Uh, Lynn Packer was a big person, uh, you know, one of the big people who uh, broke this a year years ago. He he's had this information out for a year or so, uh, but if you go in and and weed through all of the different episodes he has he has quite a bit on this and that's so we pulled from that and from some other sources so exactly public in the public domain just kind of synthesizing some of those together to hopefully add a little clarity to to some of these questions that we've had so um, we're just going to start out with the american crime journal article the whiteboard meeting and i'll start reading the first paragraph if you want to go to our first slide um, in august of 2019 Tim Ballard summoned 10 or so of his most trusted Operation Underground Railroad, OUR, associates to a clandestine meeting at home of OUR rainmaker Paul Hutchinson, portrayed by Eduardo Versa, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last name, I'm very sorry, in The Sound of Freedom. Hutchinson was imperative to OUR's early success. Hutchinson was a multimillionaire and one of Tim Ballard's most loyal lieutenants. When he reflected back on OUR's formative years with Ballard, Hutchinson speaks of Tim Ballard with glowing adoration. It's almost as if Ballard was more than a man in Hutchinson's eyes, but divine. It would be this meeting that Ballard became another man entirely to many of those in attendance. And if you, obviously this picture is not of that meeting. Of course, it's one of my favorite shows, Mad Men, but I did put the whiteboard there. So maybe we can use our imagination. <laughs> That's Don Draper, one of my favorite characters. So let's go to the next slide. Also present um, was OUR operations team leader, Dave Lopez. 
like Hutchinson, Lopez admired Tim Ballard, though a bit more grounded in reality. That would all erode before their very eyes this very August night. And again, this is in 2019. Now, the meeting was so secret that each individual was required to sign a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, before anything would be discussed or questions answered. It was at this very meeting that Tim Ballard laid out a secret plan to both monetize and proselytize his child sex slave rescue nonprofit, Operation Underground Railroad. Now, monetize and proselytize. Wow, yes. that's, a, <laughs> that's a unique word for a business, but we'll find out what that means. Yep, it's a twofold mission so far. Do you want to read the next paragraph? And I think probably go to the next slide. Sure. We have so many slides, I can never remember what's next. There we go. Okay. Tim Ballard's master plan, taken by a source that attended uh, August 2019, is, the, is what the whiteboard uh, is called. Exactly. Almost and the next paragraph starts out at the meeting. Uh, at the meeting, Ballard unveiled a whiteboard calling it Master Plan. Tim Ballard's Master Plan, taken by source that attended. So that picture was taken by a source that uh, was in August 2019. That's when the meeting occurred. On the surface, the plan was to help grow the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, better known as the LDS or Mormon Church, financially and in membership. So it was to grow the church in finance and in membership. Underneath Ballard's goal was not only to make himself millions of dollars, but to raise his profile and popularity among the Mormon elite. Not only that was a threefold mission, right? Grow the, the church, grow the bank account, <laughs> and grow the popularity of Tim Ballard himself. Very interesting. Okay. <laughs> not only would Ballard and his team be funneling donor money into his for-profit ventures, but to the LDS Church. They would also start converting employees, volunteers, and vulnerable children that Operation Underground Railroad is supposed to aid and rescue into the Mormon church. Ballard believed that he would quickly gain the favor of church leadership and the Mormon elite, eventually securing a covenanted lifetime appointment on the LDS church's highest governing body, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So now that's a fourfold mission, right? <laughs> grow the membership, grow the finances, um, gain favor, and eventually end up as one of the 12 apostles. And of course, that means that eventually one day, the prophet of the church. I mean, I don't know if people have thought that far, but by, by Tim Ballard saying he wanted to be one of the apostles, he would eventually someday be the prophet himself. That's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? If he was, yeah, if he was appointed young enough, they certainly, yep. uh, that, that would certainly be a potential. So, uh, yeah, so all this came out at the whiteboard meeting. So I'm picturing these men standing there, they've signed an NDA, and suddenly they're hearing this information. And kind of alluded to in the first paragraph, some of them were maybe thinking, okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know, some of them maybe thought this is a little different than what I thought I was going to come here to here tonight and a little different than maybe what I thought the mission of our of oper I almost did it again. Our Underground Railroad Operation Underground Railroad um, was all about. I mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating, but it seems like some of them had a little bit of change of opinion that night. So I guess we better move on and talk about what actually happened. What was on the whiteboard, right? Absolutely. 
You want me to read that? So, um, I can do the next part. Okay. So what is the whiteboard meeting? Okay, that's what we're here to answer. Um, after each individual signed Tim Ballard's non-disclosure agreement or the NDA, they assembled in the meeting room in Paul Hutchinson's luxurious home. On a whiteboard, also known as a dry erase board, Tim Ballard presented the overall strategy of what he called his master plan. Each member's role and how each of their respective organizations would funnel donor money into his for-profit Slave Stealers LLC. So there we go, the master plan. Uh, Tim Ballard believed that he could funnel and launder donor money through his nonprofits into his for-profit business, which he called the sizzle. <laughs> Both the nonprofits and the for-profits would then pay substantial tithes to the LDS church, despite the fact that money from those funds had already been diverted to church coffers. So sort of a double dipping on the part of the church, and Tim was more than happy to arrange for that and make sure that was happening. Um, but an overall master plan to use sizzle and to use nonprofits to funnel money into for-profit. Now that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it, Landon? Yeah, we seem to see that a lot with the church, moving monies between nonprofits and for-profits. Uh, it's almost like this master plan was maybe thought up by some people who were very familiar <laughs> with how the church operates its funds. Yeah, and it's almost, it's so convoluted that I think that that's where everyone loses track. They're just like, I can't even keep track of what's happening and what's going where. And I think that's how people sometimes fall through the cracks. They get away with things because it's so convoluted. It's very hard to tell what's happening. So this is a picture of the whiteboard here. Um, the other one was just kind of a drawing. Lynn Packer has created this amazing graphic that kind of parses out exactly what's happening in the whiteboard. But it's hard to read the original whiteboard because it's kind of scribbled all over, you know, in, in as far as what I understand is um, Tim's original hand, handwriting. So let's go over just in general, and I'll, you can read this next part, Landon, what was on that whiteboard, and then we'll kind of break it down into the different pieces that we want to talk about. Okay, so what did the whiteboard show? It showed multiple uh, Ballard-controlled for-profits and uh, nonprofit entities. So you've got up here the for-profits, and in the yellow are the, uh, the nonprofits. Several paths for donor money to flow directly from Tim Ballard's nonprofit entities into his main for-profit company, Slave Stealers LLC. So uh, for those who are listening, uh, we've got a bunch of arrows and going between the different uh, funds, but you basically, his plan was to take the money out of the nonprofits, funnel it into his for-profit, and then take that money and, and, and push it back out to the church. Uh, in form of ties, as well as into his own pockets and into that of his uh, associates. Correct. It showed how OUR would bring more converts into the Mormon faith, deep involvement by acting president of acting uh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve uh, Church in the LDS Church, M. Russell Ballard, who is no relation to Tim Ballard. Operation Underground Railroad's takeover of an orphanage in Haiti, Foyer des Sion, in an apparent attempt to monetize adoptions. So he was trying to monetize this orphanage that's actually, uh, from what I could tell, was uh, possibly LDS-owned. Uh, yeah, I had orphanage. read that too. 
Yeah, and I think we have a slide about that later, but that's kind of an interesting. There's so many little side businesses and sub-businesses and all of his associates are running each one. Everybody has a piece and the pieces are acting independently, but then the arrows show they're all funneling into one place. So I think that's how it's under the radar. It's very hard to keep track of what's going on. We actually probably need the widow's mite, <laughs> maybe to help us sort this out. <laughs> okay. Um... So let's go to the next slide. Okay. So, okay. So we kind of parsed out, like I said, we're going to dissect the whiteboard. So this is the very top of the whiteboard where they talk about the for-profit Slave Stealers LLC. And it clearly says for-profit. And then it says that there are three people, associates, um, that are linked to this for-profit. So Landon, why don't you go ahead and read that next section? Okay. Um, Ballard Slave Stealers LLC. Now that seems a little convoluted. Slave Stealers is the name of the company. It's a for-profit company that he created called Slave Stealers. Yeah, That's and a, I believe there's a book. There's also a book. There's a called book Slave that he Stealers, wrote named so, that. Yeah. That's where he got the name from. Yeah. At the top of the diagram was Ballard's for-profit business, Slave Stealers LLC, with three partners: Brian Norton, Tim Ballard, and M. Russell Ballard who is noted as a silent partner. Right, and I should be clear that on the actual board with all the scribbles and writing, it just says MRB silent. That's what it says. So almost everyone assumes that that means M. Russell Ballard silent partner. That's what that is taken to mean. But the actual letters on the board are MRB silent. Now that MRB is, is very, um, very important uh, because the church keeps saying that in, in their statements, they're making the statement that, that the reason that they're disowning Tim Ballard is because he used M. Russell Ballard's name without his permission in doing this, this work. And this is the place where they're basically saying that he used his name is that he was saying that he was a silent partner in this slave stealers for-profit business. The church makes the claim that no, Russell Ballard had, Elder Ballard had nothing to do with this. He didn't know his name was being used uh, in this way. And he has no ties to Tim Ballard and his, uh, and his corporation. So we decided okay. to- I would say other than a friendship, they do admit that there was a friendship and just a support of, of him as a person. Um, but then, you know, a great distance away not involved not intimately involved at all yeah he was he was a supporter uh mm -hmm. in saving children is the way the church right. basically said a love of he had a common interest in that mm -hmm. uh, but that there was no business tie or no business dealings with this for-profit slave stealers llc um using uh you know the the current uh being able to go through the internet and, and look at some of the different organizations, we wanted to test how silent of a partner was M. Russell Ballard and what does M. Russell Ballard know from what we can find in public documents. So what we did is we went through, and first off, let's, let's, let's find out a little bit about M. Russell Ballard so that we can set the, the tone here. M. Russell Ballard, Elder Ballard, president, acting, uh, acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve, uh, this is what he was in his previous life. So 
obviously, you know, you wouldn't think that an apostle would be involved in anything like this in, in, in a, basically a, a company that's being investigated for fraud. So let's find out a little bit about the background of Elder Ballard uh, so that we can see what type of person he is. Um, we know he's an apostle, but let's look at his business history. Professionally, Ballard, this, this comes right off of Wikipedia. So if you look up uh, President Ballard in, on Wikipedia, this is what comes up. Professionally, Ballard was involved in several enterprises, including automotive, real estate, and investment businesses. He was the top selling salesman for his father's Nash car dealership when he left it in the early 1950s to pursue other business interests. In 1956, Ballard returned and took over the Ballard Motor Company from his father. During this period, he also served in the United States Army Reserve, resigning his commission as a first lieutenant in 1957. During the late 1950s, Ballard was recruited by the Ford Motor, Motor Company to become the first Edsel car dealer for Salt Lake City. According to Ballard, after praying for guidance, he had the clear impression not to sign the franchise. He did anyway and incurred a huge loss, without doubt the darkest period of his business career. Wait, so, wait. So, I'm sorry, <laughs> I haven't heard this story. I knew that he was connected with Edsel, but so he literally prayed about whether or not to take on an Edsel dealership, received a strong confirmation, don't do it, which I have to say, God was spot on on that one. But then he went ahead and did do it. That's so interesting. I had not heard that before. Yeah, I, I think they have to have a reason for why he failed in business. And it has to be a spiritual one that, you know, he he didn't heed the Lord's counsel. And and oh. that's why it, it, it fell apart. Okay. Uh, again, though, this is Wikipedia. This isn't the church magazine or anything. Well, no, uh, I don't know if I'd say that. I think they edit it quite They do heavily. heavily edit. I have seen things happen. I remember there was a football player that it just barely broke that he was in the NFL, had joined the church. I looked him up on Wikipedia. It was literally added hours yes. after he was back. I mean, they are very quick to do that. And then a little slower to take things down. So that's an interesting point that we're going to Unless Elder Ballard's in involved, episode. and then we okay. saw things coming up instantly taken of down, their, yeah. <laughs> uh, off of there. So, in, in, so, so let's go on. In 1961, Ballard was the president of Keystone Securities Corporation in Salt Lake City. The Securities and Exchange Commission opened an investigation into Keystone in 1962 after accusations that Ballard and Keystone had violated the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934 and the Securities Act of 1933. The investigation centered around manipulation and fraud. The SEC completed its investigation in 1963. Keystone, with Ballard as the primary cause, was found to have violated the Securities Act of 1933 in the following charges, providing false statements to the SEC and aiding and abetting Shasta Mineral and Chemical Company in making false statements that included misrepresenting the relationships of the Shasta officers with both Ballard and Keystone. The SEC- Wait, stop there for a minute. Misrepresenting relationships? Exactly. That's very <laughs> interesting. So for example, saying, they were close or they weren't close, the sort of how they were tied together, a misrepresentation of that relationship. That's very interesting. Yeah, he's saying, I didn't know these guys. They didn't know me. We had no business right. dealings together. Interesting. Uh, and 
he was found guilty of this. The SEC revoked the broker-dealer registration of Keystone as a result. So the company's uh, broker-dealer uh, registration was completely pulled because, and, and look at what it said there, with Ballard as the primary cause. Um, let's go on and look at how else he ran business. One highlight of Ballard's business career was his presidency of the Valley Music Hall in Bountiful, Utah, which offered family entertainment. There, Ballard worked with Art Linkletter, Danny Thomas, Bob Cummings, and other Hollywood celebrities who were advisors to the enterprise. Although the music hall failed financially, investors recovered their money when the LDS Church purchased the building. Now, that's very interesting. What was Elder Ballard's role in the church at that time? Was he an apostle? Was he a general authority? I guess I don't really know. And I probably should have looked that up ahead of time. Yeah, I believe um, he was a general. I think he was a general authority at the okay. time. He wasn't, I don't believe he was an apostle at the time. But okay. I, yeah, someone can fact check me on that. And I'm sure they will. <laughs> yeah, no, we're probably going to get it in the comments right now. You idiots, don't you know? <laughs> Sorry, we try so hard. There's so much information to sift through. So that's very interesting. So his business venture, the music hall failed. Investors didn't have their money. And then suddenly, Dale Seth Machina, the church comes in and purchased the music hall um, because I, I don't know why they would because purchase they the music hall. Because they now made it a conference center in Bountiful. Uh, that, oh, uh, have they? For state conferences, <laughs> yes. So I, I believe really this happened? is that round building you see off the side of the freeway oh. in uh, okay. in Bountiful. I believe that's what okay. that is. So. But so, that, so Elder Ballard then was Whew, off, off the hook off for the hook. any of those I got financial problems. Yep, and they, I oh, well, then it all works out. That sounds like a happy I didn't answer. have That's another good. scandal uh, with my investors yeah. not getting their money back because the church stepped in and bailed, bailed out the uh, the the institution. So very interesting. I hadn't heard some of these things before. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, they say Elder Ballard has no business ties with these people, and that he that the church never promoted any of. Tim Ballard's businesses, but where did the church come up with that? Did they just make that up? Did they take Elder Ballard's word? Did they do any investigation to determine if there was any kind of a, a link there? They they don't say how they knew. Uh, but well, and I also kind of feel that, um, and I know that RFM has just put out an amazing podcast about this, this part of it, that when the church says there were no ties, almost simultaneously um, some articles from the church websites that could be read to indicate a tie, you know, sort of an endorsement of him disappeared very quickly. I took some screenshots and I think that's what Arthur's posted on his site, but you know, they say no ties yet the articles are taken down, which to me indicates they might've been concerned that it looked like a tie at least if, if, not, I mean, it seems like it is a tie, <laughs> but they definitely took down the article. And they seem to have known it was there by the fact that they went and took it down. So uh, exactly. what what else did they not know or what should they have known that they maybe haven't told us? Uh, so one thing, keep in mind that, that the business that he was supposedly a silent partner in is called Slave Stealers LLC. So we're able to go... Um, uh, and, and we're going to read a little bit about what uh, a guy named Mark Jensen claims, and then we'll go look up uh, a little bit about Slave Stealers LLC. So, Mark right. And Jensen again, I'd like to say that <laughs> most of this research has 
been done by Lynn Packer and reported on in many different news sources. So we're just kind of gathering it all in one place. But such good um, journalism, such good investigative reporting done by so many people. It's, it's really amazing to see what people have been able to come up with. Yeah. And this is a statement from a man named Mark Jensen. Um, uh, in, in a later interview with Mark Jensen, the, who was the project leader of the church's Kirtland, Ohio project. So this is where uh, he was, they were going to try to restore some of the buildings in, in Kirtland, Ohio, and buy some of the land there. And of course, the church with its $200 billion and all of its land deals can't buy the land in Kirtland, Ohio. It has to get it has to get members to donate and to buy that land. I uh, again, right. billions of dollars, and they keep going after people to get more and more and more money out of them. Um, right, and if I remember from this story, um, again, Lynn Packer researched this that that this was a wealthy donor, like many wealthy donors that were called in and ask if they would participate in this rehabilitation project for some of the buildings in Kirkland. So Correct. And Mark Jensen was the project leader of that. Um, Jensen claimed that at the request of President Ballard, he attended several meetings with him and brought other prominent church donors to these meetings as well. To quote a few of the slides, these are the slides out of, uh, of uh, Lynn Packer's uh, information. Jensen claims that during the meetings, Elder Ballard would suggest that donors also consider investing with his son, Craig Ballard, and son-in-law, Brad uh, Brower. That doesn't seem like uh, something an apostle should be calling people into his office to discuss. Subsequent meetings were set up at the offices in Farmington next to a facility where powders and drinks are formulated for various multi-level marketing ventures. Um, one of several Kirtland donors who Jensen says invested in the Ballard family enterprise was Mormon billionaire Gene Yamagata, handled by Yamagata's CFO, David Sr. Jensen claims Ballard fired him from uh, his calling after Jensen and at least one of the Kirtland donors expressed concerns about the propriety of linking church donations to investments with Ballard's family. Jensen says after his termination, he was re-engaged, but under the direction of two other apostles, Henry Eyring and Jeffrey Holland. Jensen says the fundraising continued. It shows that Russell Ballard's alleged secret investment in OUR through a business entity controlled by his son or son-in-law is plausible. The video goes further into corroborating evidence for the possibility that Russell Ballard has used his office, both his authority and physical church office space, to promote OUR in addition to Tim Ballard's admission that he is providing financial support. <laughs> so his claim is, is that President Ballard, that secretaries would call, church secretaries would call and say, President Ballard wants to meet you in his office. They would come in. They would be asked to donate to this Kirtland, Ohio project. And at the same time, you might consider investing with his son, Craig Ballard, or his son-in-law, Brad Brower, uh, because, of course, these are multimillionaires and billionaires, and they can uh, afford to, you know, maybe invest a little to help out a guy's sons. Uh, and so these guys went and met with him in uh, offices in Farmington, Utah. So that's a little interesting. We, we can kind of fact check some of the things here that uh, Mark Jensen claimed. 
the way we right. do and that. again i should say that lynn packer you know that's his research and what we just read is kind of a synthesis of what's on the video. And so we encourage everybody, whatever we're saying here on this video, you can look all these things up yourself. Everything is in you know, the public realm, it's in public media. So yeah, don't just take our word for some of these statements or any of these things, please go look everything up. Yeah, and, and we're just bringing forth what we can find um, and asking the question. We're not accusing anyone of anything mm -hmm. here, uh, but there is some, activities here that seem fairly suspicious and should probably be investigated. So the first thing we can check on here is Slave Stillers LLC was registered with the state of Utah. And if you look there in Article 2, the principal office, the company's principal office is located at, and it gives the address, and I've highlighted, I've, I've blocked out the address. So, uh, you know, for, uh, uh, privacy, but it's privacy in Farmington. Purposes. That's what you're saying. It's a farm. It's a Farmington address. It's okay. a Farmington address. So uh, notice, anytime you see that red address, that's the same address. Okay, that means that it's at the same address. So, Slave Stealers LLC was set up in at this address in Farmington, Utah. And the that next, is the for-profit. That's the for-profit business of Tim Ballard called Slave Stealers at a Farmington address. At okay. the very Continue. top. <laughs> that he said that M. Russell Ballard was a silent partner in. Right. At the top of the, back to the whiteboard. Yes. Uh, yes. Here is, uh, the as, as he was registering the business, you see here, business name, Slave Stillers LLC. You have to, you have to register a principal uh, of the company. And who is the registered principal? Timothy Blaine Ballard, manager. And where at? That same address in Farmington, Utah. What is at that address in Farmington, Utah? Well, it's a it's a company called Indulgent Foods LLC, and you can see here on the right address. Uh, I I blocked out the address again, but there's the address in Farmington, Utah. And just like you have to list a principal on on a registration for a business, you have to do that for Indulgent Foods also. Uh, I I put in a in that red square there who the cre key principle is at Indulgent Food. Can you read that name? Um, it looks like it's Brad Brower. Is that the son-in-law? Brad Brower. M. Russell Brower. Okay. That would Ballard. sure sound There's like too many Browers and Ballards. And, <laughs> and he's located at a location in Farmington that produces food powders for multi-level marketing and other marketing uh, is located at that very address. Exactly. And it's the same address. Same address, exact same address huh. that Tim Ballard uh, claims for Slave uh, slave Stillers LLC. That is a heck of a coincidence, if it's a coincidence. So is, again, we're just putting out some information because we don't know. <laughs> yes, so um, here is a, 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 an article from the Church News on new mission presidents. And in there, and I'm sorry, it cut off the part I highlighted. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> in there, it names uh, Brad uh, and uh, his wife, Tamara. Um, and if you follow down, they were named as, as new mission presidents. Uh, so who might they be related to that they were named mission presidents? We know that never happens. You at are so bottom, cynical, and, Landon. You are so cynical. Come and, on. <laughs> and I'm sorry it's cut off at the bottom, but in the bottom here it says, born in Salt Lake City, Utah, to 
this is this is speaking of the of uh, Sister Brower, born in Salt Lake City, Utah, to Melvin Russell Ballard Jr. and Barbara Bowen oh. Ballard. So okay, this, so this is the Elder Ballard's daughter, and daughter. this is her husband, who is the did you say registered agent? Reg on... He's the registered principal of the Prison, food, okay of the food company located okay. at the same address address as Slave Stealers as owned slave by Tim Ballard. Stealers. Okay, there does seem to be some connections, but again, we're we're just putting it out there. I don't think we're even going to speculate on how that all, go all goes together. When I searched for uh, Brad. Uh, Brower, uh, I found that he's also associated with TBB Investments Limited. Uh, TBB Investment Limited also has an address, the same address in Farmington, Utah, oh. as Slave Stealers, as the food company, and now we have okay. TBB Investments Limited. And notice who there is the uh, officer or listed as the oh. agent. Okay, Camera it's Elder Ballard's daughter. Ballard Brower, um, TBB Investments, Tamara Ballard Brower, or maybe I it's Tamara they, and Brad ba Brower. And Brad Bauer. I wonder if they just own the facility and it has a, you know, a set of offices or suites that they rent out. I mean, I wonder. And and that's that's very possible. Uh, mm -hmm. However, when I did go and look at, at, at all of... Uh, Tim's uh, addresses, OUR offices are not uh, are not located. They're in Salt Lake area. They're not in oh, okay. in Farmington. So okay. for some reason, he set up this address in Farmington. It was only set up there for a couple months, and then and then they moved it. They moved the okay. address to a different address. But for okay. several months, while it was being set up, it seems to be in co-located with. The son-in-law and the daughter of M. Russell Ballard. Interesting. That seems you're you're an internet sleuth, Landon. That's what you well, are. Well, <laughs> I I think uh, Lynn Packer is. Uh, yeah. I was able to find some of this following the yeah. stuff that he that he put out there. Yeah. But boy, it's hard to say that there. You know that there's a silent partner. Now, M. Russell Ballard's name isn't on any of this stuff, but his mm -hmm. daughter and son-in-law's name is, and we, through the Mark Jensen, it sounds like Mark Jensen's describing that they went to Farmington, had meetings with his son-in-law, who they'd felt uncomfortable with because they were told to invest in that very son-in-law's company. Yeah, and, and that kind of tracks with a lot of other things that I'm sure that that we've heard different People come out and say, um, M. Russell Ballard called me and, and told me, you know, I need to meet with him and and to invest in this. And of course, this is all, you know, like he said, she said kind of a thing. But we have heard multiple multiple reports of people saying that that's how it works, that they would be contacted by the apostle and then encouraged to invest in this very, very important endeavor. And the so people who were saying that. Too. The people who were saying that were active, believing members. Yes. They yes. were trying to say, "No, Tim Ballard did have a relationship. We know, yeah. and and we're just we're we're just saying that he did. We know he did because right. he called me in it. and told me to 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 exactly." And, and a lot of these statements came out in the first day or so of the churches questionable statement in Vice, where I think a lot of acting believing members felt that that was not a true statement for the church. So they all stepped up to say, no, 
you know, no, they did have a relationship, you know, not realizing that that was what the church was actually trying to disavow and say no. So it is kind of interesting that we do have those, you know, on tape and written down where a lot of people were saying, no, this is how it works. And Russell Ballard contacted me and promoted OUR. And why wouldn't the church say M. Russell Ballard had nothing to do with this uh, corporation? However, his son-in-law and daughter were, were, you know, heavily invested in it. And yeah, tell us, the, tell us if that's the case, if that's the case, yeah. but they are co-located at the same address yeah. uh, uh, in all of these endeavors are all at the same address, which goes along with what, what's been said now, right? It doesn't, whether that's and illegal or not, we, I don't yeah. know, but yeah. I don't know either. That's the thing. We do not know. We're just showing some of the information that's already out there. But And we had heard, remember, quite early on, even before everything broke, um, from a very inside source that, you know, oh, it's the son-in-laws that continue to the involvement and encourage Elder Ballard to be involved. We had heard that. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was one take on it, that they were heavily connected and, you know, were still encouraging Elder Ballard. To be involved. So there's some involvement there. We can't say, I don't think the church is going to come out and say, so I'm not sure, probably just different document searches and case I, files maybe will reveal. Someday. You know, one thing I, one thing I don't understand is during the investigation by the Davis County a- attorney, and I was wondering why Davis County attorney was conducting the investigation. And it may be because the businesses were located in Farmington, according to this. Oh. That, that might sense. be why they were uh, involved in the investigation. But did they ever question Elder Ballard about this uh, and whether he was a participant in this or a silent partner? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. And, so and if not, maybe why? we'll find that out later. Why, if you're claiming <laughs> that this is a, a, a principal silent partner, why would you not go question him and take a statement from him uh, to see it? Because that would have been part of the fraud. Uh, so you right. you know you've got a you've got a man who has been previously found guilty of fraud by the SEC, and you don't go ask him any questions. Uh, is it because they're afraid of his position in the church, or why wouldn't you go ask that person? That's just some questions. Or possibly because he really isn't linked by any paper trail. I mean, it's one generation back. And so maybe that's why they just technically could not question. I don't know. Those are all questions that I'm sure other people are working on. And we may find more clarification later as we go along. So that's interesting. Right. All right. Now we, we took a little jog off to Elder Ballard. And now we're going to go back to the whiteboard. Um, so there is a section on an outside nonprofit owned by Paul Hutchinson. And he was, um, you know, one of the first uh, investors and founders. And it's called the Child Liberation Foundation. And this was envisioned to donate to multiple nonprofit entities owned by Tim Ballard. So again, it's just kind of this web of these organizations that it just takes a lot to even wrap your your head around. Um, The Child Liberation Foundation had several people listed under it. Brad Damon, CEO, had a Vanessa executive and Kahea advisor. So that was just a little, another entity over that was a nonprofit that somehow was connected everything and somehow funneling money um, over to the uh, Tim Ballard direction. So now we're going to go into all of the Ballard controlled nonprofits. Landon, and this do you is want to Tim Ballard. Part? Tim Ballard. Yes, I'm controlled. sorry. We're yep. done talking about Elder Ballard for a minute. Now we're going back to Tim Ballard. That's right. And again, the only mention of Elder Ballard on this whiteboard 
M R B silent written in Tim's hand. So that is the only actual mention there. So, okay. Uh, why don't you pick it up at the ballot controlled nor nonprofits? Okay. So here, uh, here in, in this slide, you see the different, uh, nonprofits that are owned or run by uh, Tim Ballard. Uh, you've got Operation Underground Railroad, which he marked as Sizzle, uh, the Nazarene Fund, which he marked as Sizzle, Children Need Families, owned by Catherine Ballard, his wife, also Sizzle. Then you've got Liberty and Light Equity Trust, Mercury One, which is owned by Glenn Beck, and an orphanage in Haiti, uh, which is uh, actually run by uh, Marty Gardy's father. Marty Marty's father. Marty Marty, That's yeah, right. the one they were trying. Yeah, to and it's known, I believe, as an LDS orphanage. In fact, I think we have a slide about the orphanage, don't yeah. we? Yeah, we do. Is that we'll get, next? We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought maybe that was next. Yeah, there we yeah, go. That's okay. next. So. Yeah, so we did a little research on the orphanage because that seemed kind of unusual. And I, I had not really understood the full story of, of Gardy Marty and exactly what happened. But as I understand it, his father was a member of the bishopric in a ward in Haiti. And Gardy was kidnapped um, by a motor, someone on a motorcycle from right out in front of the church building. They later figured out they thought it was someone in the ward who had done it. There was a ransom request for 150000 I think this is what I read. I'm just remembering. Um, the father, Guardian's father, scraped together like 4000 I think, dollars. And then there was an earthquake. And at that point, all communication lost. Um, never heard another word. This is back in 2009, 2010, I think, right? So... So quite a while ago, and then nothing from there. And then um, it appears, and this is a thing I don't know, maybe you know, Landon, if his father had been running this orphanage at the time or was later sort of installed or asked to run the orphanage after the fact. But as we've been able to learn, he is connected to the operation of this, this orphanage. That, yes, that's correct. He was some. He was running the orphanage at one point, whether it was before, yes. but he definitely was after uh, the fact. Right. Um. So th this is the plan, and uh, th this is from falling down the demise of Tim Ballard and Operation Underground by Damian Moore uh, on May 16, twenty twenty-two. He said, "Should his plan progress, and he was able to funnel enough liquid cash into his personal bank accounts." Ballard would then open low-cost, run-down LDS orphanages in Haiti. Ballard estimated he could make about $20,000 per adoption to Mormon couples in America. Several of those in attendance at his secret meeting left in disgust, including former OUR financer millionaire Paul Hutchinson and OUR ops team leader Dave Lopez. They must yeah. have been really disgusted because it was in Paul Hutchinson's home. And he says he left. <laughs> he got up and left. No. And if you remember them from that second slide, the pictures, yes. Some of the key players, after seeing this master plan and these ideas, said, I'm out. That's it. That's enough. And as I understand it, they have been key in presenting, you know, some of the stories, some of the big picture. I think even the whiteboard picture, right? Um, just giving investigators more of the story because they were no longer on board with it. Yeah. And, and you notice, uh, and I'll read some more from the, from the article, Ballard's use of the word sizzle 
was taken to mean that the nonprofits would attract donors by way of dynamic humanitarian missions, that's in quotes, such as rescuing child sex slaves. So they went on these to create the sizzle to get investors to donate to the nonprofits, which would then be funneled. Um, and it says the money would then end up in Ballard's own company, which was www.timothyballard.com. Right. And I think we'll go into that slide next. But yeah, absolutely. There was sizzle. I mean, if you've ever been to any of his presentations, you know, it's dramatic. It's emotional the way they describe what is happening, you know, and it's a horrific situation. So sizzle means everybody gets really emotionally involved. And of course, everybody wants to know how they can help and how they can participate. Yeah. Um, and, and then they would funnel that into Tim Ballard's uh, Sound of Freedom movie. That'd be the next, the, these nonprofits would take their money and they would funnel it into his for-profit corporation which uh, uh, it would right. make I can read the next part. Okay. It says it would make more money with Ballard media engagements, starting with The Sound of Freedom, the movie that came out this summer, speaking fees and upcoming books. So you've got The Sound of Freedom, the first film. You've got the speaking engagements, a 50 to 100K. I don't know if that would be probably each engagement. Each I engagement. mean, some of these yeah. high level people really make that much. How much do you think anybody would pay us to come speak somewhere, yeah. Landon? <laughs> I bet maybe they'd give us dinner. Maybe We, maybe we, not try, that we tried to pay for <laughs> dinner to go to one of these and they kicked us out. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I'm still mourning that blackened salmon. I'm not kidding. So, yeah, I feel like if we were ever asked to speak anywhere, they'd say, and make sure you bring your own sack lunch. I think that's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Um, and also upcoming new books, uh, three to five new books coming out. So, uh, and some of these funds would also end up going to Slave Stealers LLC. So I guess it's kind of tricky and convoluted to figure how these nonprofits, you know, would funnel their money to Tim. I guess maybe it would be something like my nonprofit wants Tim to come speak. So I'm going to pay out of this nonprofit $100,000, Tim will speak, and then that ends up in his for-profit, right? Or my nonprofit is going to donate to the Sound of Freedom movie release. You know, we're going we're gonna to be gonna part of that infrastructure. We're going to put $20 million towards yeah. making a movie. And so then yeah. that money, yeah. And I'm sure there are smarter people than we are out there that can uh, figure out how that's done. But on a superficial level, I think that's how it would be. Find a way that Tim can participate for payment in the nonprofit, and then it goes directly into the for-profit uh, timballard.com. So yeah, that's it kind of makes your head spin, that whiteboard. So uh, then it says uh, Ballard's Millions. The Ballard nonprofit Operation Underground Railroad has millions of dollars in liquidity. Okay, so, oh, and I think again, this, I think the next slide is the liquidity slide, but we can go back to, yeah, there we go. Um, legitimate nonprofit entities typically have two to three years of annual expenses on reserve. Now let's figure out who this kind of sounds like. Um, <laughs> OUR on average had 10 to 20 years of operating expenses in reserve. It's just one of the many reasons why Charity Watch downgraded their rating to a question mark and issued multiple cautions about the nonprofit. Now that's interesting because the first time I ever thought about having massive amounts of liquidity was some of the widows might reports, right? Where they talked about 
the church and those funds, you know, and the charitable organizations typically don't have that much, right? They have, as it says here, maybe two to three years of expenses to make sure they can continue operating. Um, when you have more than that, Operation Underground Railroad, 10 to 20, that sounds like maybe you're going to be funneling that money somewhere else. It's not really for operating expenses because, you know, it's so far in the future. It, How do you take that? It, it sounds like you're not a charity when you're raising yeah. money and you're not yeah. spending it. Uh, you're yeah, not a just, charity at that point. Uh, yeah, there's organizations again that at do that. that. Point, they still call a, themselves a charity. At that point, you're a religion. Uh, oh, specifically oh, don't give anybody the LDS any ideas. Religion. No, do not give anyone any ideas. Although Landon always jokes about starting his own religion. I think he'd be great at it, Landon, and five or six people would probably join. So I think that's great. Okay. So in reality, um, Ballard, and I think this is our next um, Tim Ballard, uh, next slide, could not simply write checks to himself without risking his tax-exempt status. So that's the thing I think people don't understand, or maybe people do understand, about a nonprofit. You can't just say, okay, I'm just going to fill this out to myself. You can't do that. You're not going to be tax-exempt. So hence the whiteboard, right? All kinds of different ways where you are writing yourself a check, but it's through the nonprofit who's paying you to speak. You know, different levels, different layers to kind of cover what you're doing, but the end result is that the money goes into your pocket. So according to OUR's Form 990, in 2018, Ballard's salary at OUR was over $300,000. And in 2021, it was over $500,000. Um, what was Ballard's solution to this not being able to write himself a check? According to two um, of the executives with OUR in attendance, um, the answer was to surround Operation Underground Railroad with other nonprofits, like we just described, and for-profits creating a complex labyrinth of entities where the money would eventually flow into his personal bank account. So even another for-profit, two for-profits, multiple nonprofits. And for those of you that are our listeners, there are just red arrows going everywhere. Money from here to here and over here and here. Again, it reminds me of some of the SEC reports, um, some of the widow's might information um, about what the church was doing with the different clone companies and money going in and out and all around and reporting. And it just, it's not straightforward. Let's just say that, right? It is not straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to read the next part then, Landon? Sure. Ballard pointed <laughs> out an added bonus. He told those in attendance at the clandestine uh, meeting that the same sizzle, excitement and publicity, that generates profits could bring masses of people into the Mormon church. It was his capitalism begets church converts plan. <laughs> And that, I think, is that our slide that's back a little ways? I yeah, think we I got think, that out of order. I think we got yeah. that one out of order. <laughs> We're doing the best we can. Yeah. Or maybe even another. Yeah. Again, this whole idea. Actually, just read the last sentence and then we're done with the article and then we can keep discussing. Ballard was perpetuating that this was some divine plan, as if God wanted millions of dollars of donor money to flow through a labyrinth of entities to direct to land directly into Ballard's pockets. That's it. And again, this was American Crime Journal's uh, wonderful and comprehensive article. So that's it. I mean, it, it really was a two, three, four fold mission. You've got sizzle, 
to get people to donate. You're rescuing people. You've got volunteers. You've got employees. And all of them, the goal is to lead them to the covenant, which means to join the LDS church. And I've said this before on different podcasts. I attended inadvertently without knowing what it was, one of Tim Ballard's meetings, and he talked about the covenant. Those were his words. Protect the covenant, join the covenant, be part of the covenant. And then he was handing out copies of the Constitution, pocket-sized copies. <laughs> I think I still have mine around here somewhere. But yeah, that was definitely. And so I can sort of see how attractive that would be to Elder Ballard or anyone in church leadership, um, that it's for the greater good. You know, the whole thing is for the greater good. And that is to bring souls unto Christ, members unto the church. Do we have a final slide? I think we might have one more. I think we had a couple about this. Back to the, oops. Yep, there we go. The divine plan, capitalism begets church converts. <laughs> the sizzle generates the profits. And that's P-R-O-F-I-T-S and brings masses of people into the LDS church. So it was a win-win-win literally for everyone. I can see why people were so attracted um, to the whole plan. Yeah, this is just standard uh, church, uh, you know, the, the, that the more money you have, the more righteous you must be. And the fact exactly. that this company is bringing in money means that it's successful, that it's represented by the Lord and the Lord's blessing it to move forth this great work to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful story. The problem is the people who were donating to this had no idea that's what it was. They thought they were rescuing kids. And in reality, it turns out that there wasn't a lot of kid rescuing going on, but there was a lot of, uh, Tim Ballard trying to get into the upper echelons and into the elite of the church, uh, being mentored by his friend and confidant, uh, Elder Ballard, who seems to have uh, been, at least had his son-in-laws involved in it as well. Uh, and how did they profit from it? Or did they profit from it? We don't know. Somebody uh, with better research skills and better uh, subpoena power than us might need to investigate that. But uh, yeah. uh, there certainly seems to be a tie there uh, between those uh, different entities. Yeah, I think there absolutely is. But I also couldn't understand why anybody would have a hard time seeing through this. Because again, it's such a supercharged situation, you know, and, and the way it's presented who would say no to being part of this organization or to donating to this organization if what they claim they're doing and what they are is true? You would not look into it in that way. In fact, we are going to have a guest on Mormonish. I think we'll probably air it in the next week, who worked uh, sort of very closely in a back office scenario as a volunteer and went in, even though was a credentialed person, probably more than a lot of people that worked there, you know, with just these very idealistic um, conception of what was happening there, and then very quickly saw that it was not what it purported to be. And I think you're seeing that um, as, as you dig in, people are coming forward and saying, oh yeah, I spotted it. I spotted it from the inside, you know, what it really was. So you have a lot of people leaving, a lot of people kind of blowing the whistle. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one thing that you have to be careful about and uh, is that people who want to take advantage of this type of thing they will use a noble cause to hide it. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that uh, we just watched a documentary about a call center company that formed and they used that they were raising money for the fire and 
police, uh, you know, the retired fire and police fund. Who's not, who's going to say no to fire yeah. and policemen? I know. And they generated millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then they gave like $1 million to, the, to, to them yeah. and the rest they pocketed. So we see this as a standard scam is to play right. on people's emotions, to play on things that they know people will donate to, and then use that and use that emotion and almost guilt or shame or uh, play on their emotions to extract money for their own purposes. And that seems to be what the plan was here. Right. And it works very well. I mean, you have told me and others that when the movie The Sound of Freedom came out, and you had heard some of this backstory of uh, OUR may not be what it seems. And you kind of very nicely, you know, tried to tell other people, maybe family members, there was pushback like, well, don't you want to help kids? You know, I mean, do you know what I mean? And yes, of course, I want to help kids. It's it's like the two things are linked, but they shouldn't be linked. They should be independent of each other. It, yes, exactly. I still want it, to help children, but I also want to make sure that they're really being helped and that an organization is up and above board. And I was going to say, um, our friend who we just interviewed the other day, James Hoffines, uh, just sent me an article. He likes to keep me in the know. Um, another organization called Exodus, or yeah, Exodus, yeah, um, who does the same thing, um, child sex slavery and helping to extricate kids. She was just arrested, I think, 30 felony counts. I mean, it was huge. And this article just says that bail was denied. Uh, and this just happened at the same time. I mean, it appears to me that now maybe law enforcement is on to this, you know, these causes that are not exactly what they appear to be. Well, it seems kind of odd that they would arrest her for this. And yet Tim Ballard, who they investigated for the same thing, they actually say, yes, this is what he was doing. And then they press no charges, of course. He is close to Sean Reyes, the Attorney General yeah. of Utah. Is there influence there? Uh, did is there influence from the apostles? Influence from the church? Influence on his run for a senator? That he hasn't been arrested when when this lady's been arrested. It just makes you go, what's what's going on here? Why why is yeah, the person there are way more question reason? marks? Yeah, way more question marks than anything. And I think we all wake up every morning and we get in the news. We're like, what's happened next? <laughs> yeah, none of us could picture any of that. And then um, as we're ending here, I think one big question and an RFM had posted this the other day and I was thinking about it. What do you think um, LDS General Conference, you know, is coming up uh, this weekend? Um, we, I know that I never directly addressed anything, but do you think anything would be said? Can you imagine what kind of talk would be said to kind of, or given that would kind of, I don't know, <laughs> give their side of the story or tell members what they're supposed to think of this because they're not telling anybody what they're supposed to think. People are waiting for some kind of a more official statement and there isn't anything. Is there anything they could say at conference that would help alleviate fears or give information? Or do you think it'll just be silence like, like COVID? When COVID was in full, you know, raging, they said nothing in conference, right? About a worldwide ep epidemic, so. Maybe Elder Ballard will give a talk on children uh, or something like oh, that, uh, but. I think he will even speak? I, 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 think, I think that he will speak and they will all ignore this as if it's never happening, just like they did with the SEC uh, investigation. They just completely ignored it. Nothing was said, nothing to see here, keep moving. Right. And I do know that a lot of active faithful LDS 
don't really know very much about this. I mean, I look on the faithful sites and every once in a while, somebody will mention something and then I've seen posts that have been taken down. So a few are wondering, but overall, you know, and I know I've talked to some family members and some friends have talked to family members and they haven't really heard of it. You know, they're not really tracking it, which is interesting to me because everybody was promoting and posting about the Sound of Freedom movie. Yes. Like, everybody and now not to see this other side where it's directly connected to the sound of freedom i think that's interesting well i'm going to make my prediction and i predict that elder ballard will it will be announced that he has covid that's my prediction <laughs> because i i now know of two cases where a church leader when something a little dicey was gonna happen or something had covid so that is my prediction <laughs> I'm going on record that unfortunately, you know, perhaps he will not be able to be there because he has COVID. What do you think? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, I think we tried to cover it. Hopefully we said shed some light. Maybe we didn't. Maybe everyone will turn this podcast off and go, what was that? I'm even more confused than ever. But that just shows there are a lot of layers and there's going to be more information coming out. So please comment, you know, tell us what your takes are. Tell us what you know. Tell us what you've read. I, I think this is going to be going on for quite a while as we all try to dissect it. And again, I'd love to promote all the other wonderful podcasts. Um, and investigators out there. Lynn Packard's research is incredible. The Salt Lake Tribune has articles every day. American Crime Journal is wonderful. Vice continues to put things out. Mormon Stories podcast continues to cover this so closely. Um, RFM is doing all kinds of, you know, almost daily updates, kind of an art bell kind of a thing. It's, it's really wonderful. So if you want to get your information, lots of people are taking this seriously and, and really trying to give information without a lot of speculation and, and you know, just just see where the facts uh the facts lead us so any final thoughts landed no I've, i think we brought to forward uh what what the issues are and hopefully some people can look into those questions uh you know people who have that capacity I think so, too. And I think, you know what? Mormonists should get a whiteboard. Why don't we have one? Can you imagine? We can write all over it. Well, look at and the trouble they it, get you in. <laughs> I was going to say that one of us, when we turn on each other, we can take a picture of it and then we, <laughs> then we can link it to the media. I think we should do it. It sounds very exciting. So anyway, thank you, everybody. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, you can hit that notification bell. And if you would like to donate to Mormonish and, and help us with our infrastructure, you we love our our donors and our supporters and we just appreciate you all so much we have uh, links to paypal or to venmo in our show notes if you'd like to help us out financially and we will say goodbye again from mormonish until the next episode which will probably again be about tim ballard <laughs> thanks everybody bye-bye thanks for joining us for another episode of mormonish we really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share you can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.